Hello, everybody. Such an honour to be in Wales, the only country in the world where my name makes sense. It doesn't matter where I go in the world, uh, uh, America, Australia, people always spell my name wrong, pronounce my name wrong. But here in the valleys, here in South Wales, in Wales, my name makes sense. Uh, I checked into the hotel before and uh, they said, what's your name? I said, my name's Glyn. And the lady just very clearly with a nice Welsh accent said, hello, Glyn. Nice to welcome you. I thought, oh, it's so nice to have somebody not call me Glenn. Apparently there is a Glenn in the room tonight. Is that right? Is there a Glenn? Give me a wave, Glenn. I'm so sorry your parents spelt your name wrong. What a tragedy that is. You can actually change your name by Depol. You know that, don't you? And, uh, but it's great to be here in, uh, in what is now my home church in Wales. I, I have been here enough, I think, to call this my home church. Uh, last four years or so, I think, I, I've been here for leaders. Uh, so Pastor Chris is my Welsh pastor, my Welsh Indian pastor. And um, we've got nothing in common, you know, spiritual-wise, and at least we can talk cricket, can't we? And uh, that's a really good thing. And also South Africa. Uh, let me just say apologies that you're going to lose on Saturday to England. Uh, I need to say that. Now, let me just say this, okay? My, my accent is Australian. My parents are from Risca, just down the road, not far from here. I was born in England. Sorry about that. It wasn't my fault. Um, went to Australia when I was two. So when it comes to things like football and cricket, I support England. But when it comes to rugby, it's always Wales first. And, um, and so, you know, who beat us this last week? It was South Africa, wasn't it? So we just pray for our South African brothers and sisters in the house today. We pray for lice in their bed in the morning, for, for frogs to, to be upon them in, in, in Jesus' name. And, uh, but it's good. And, and we're praying for Wales to win tomorrow, aren't we? Tomorrow is the day that mighty Wales is going to beat the All Blacks. We believe that in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Um, honestly, real, real treat, real privilege to be here. It's, it's genuinely the, the only time I really get an invite to come to Wales to speak. And so I'm invested in this nation. I, I am, I'm proudly Welsh and, uh, and love what God is doing here in Gateway Church. I think, I think Pastors Chris and Lyra are outstanding leaders. And I think the transition that this church has gone on um, in the last five, seven years uh, I didn't know the church before. I only, I've only known it under Pastor Chris and Lyra's leadership, but I think what an amazing transformation this is. Um, to see God doing what God is doing in Abba is truly an outstanding thing. So for those of you who are part of Gateway Church, I want to commend you for your support of the vision of the man and woman of God for what God is doing here in this house. Uh, I believe that it's called Gateway Church for a prophetic reason, that it's more than just what God wants to do in Abba itself, but in the surrounding areas as well. And, uh, and I think that that's fantastic what, what God is doing. I'm, I'm so thrilled, so privileged to be here. Tomorrow I'm going to spend a little bit of time in my favorite castle in the world, which is Raglan Castle. Uh, I love going there at least once or twice a year. I find the solitude of that place quite amazing. And just to be there, just to, to pray and to walk around. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the day writing an essay for my master's degree. I don't know if I pray to Mary, but I need every little bit of help I can get on that. And uh, so that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Friday morning, I'm up in Snowdon on the zip wire. I got that for my birthday present, so I'm going to be doing that Friday morning. Saturday, we're in Aberdeen for our Assemblies of God Day, and then, of course, church on Sunday. But it's great to be with you guys. My, my mum and dad are from, from Risca, and uh, for some of you who don't know this story, my dad um, got saved at the age of 12 as a result of a broken leg in a football game. 
he broke a man's leg, and uh, my dad said, I'm so sorry to the man whose leg he broke. And the man said, I'll forgive you if you come to church with me tomorrow. And effectively, that's what dad did. Went to a local Assemblies of God church the next day, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, really proclaimed clearly for the first time. And dad got radically saved. And my mum, who was a Baptist-going girl there in Risca, um, met up with my dad, uh, got to know my dad, and, and transitioned from being Baptist to Pentecostal, and, and that in itself was a bit of a challenge for the families involved. And yet, mum and dad got married, and then began mum and dad's journey of pastoring. They uh, dad went to Kenley to Bible College in London under Donald G for two years. Uh, went to Newtown to pastor a church where uh, Pastor D Kagenvin is pastoring right now, um, and then went to Newcastle in the north of England, where my sister was born. Went to Manchester, where I was born. And then when I was two, we went to Australia. And uh, so that's been our journey. It's been amazing to see, you know, what God can do. What God can do to a life, for a life, sold out to him. You know, not everything that God says always makes sense, but it always makes a difference. And one of the things that I'm really aware of is that on this journey of Christianity, that one decision you make, one decision I make, has an incredible effect on future generations. And, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't be who I am and wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, wouldn't be married to who I'm married to, wouldn't have the children I've got if it wasn't for that moment all those years ago in Risca when dad broke a man's leg. And that man, uh, in pain on the football pitch, still had the audacity to invite my dad to church. I mean, God bless that man, Frank Ware, his name was, I think. And, uh, and you know, God is really good. In 1994, I was in my second year of Sembers of God Bible College in Sydney, Australia, and God spoke to me three things. God said, go back to the United Kingdom. And I said, you go back. Why'd you leave? And, uh, and yet God caused my heart to burn the United, for the United Kingdom. God said, you're going to plant a church in the city of your birth. And also in the same time, April 1994, God said, one day you'll lead Assemblies of God in Great Britain. And I remember writing down in my journal that night, is it me or is it God? Because it just seemed so far-fetched uh, for a second-year Bible college student to, to feel like God had put a nation on his heart. And yet three days later at a, at a conference, the, the Pentecostal preacher was preaching and, and pointed to me 10 rows back and said, I don't know who you are, but you're asking, is something God or is it yourself? God says it's him and, and it'll come to pass. And so when the appointment was made in March this year for, for me to, to lead Assemblies of God, obviously that was a surprise and not a surprise all at the same time. Really humbling. Uh, it forced me to get on my knees. These jeans are ripped, not because they're trendy, but because they're my prayer jeans and uh, did a whole lot more prayer. And God really gave me a, a really clear strategy, I think, for the first four years of my leadership of Assemblies of God, which is stripping it back to just three things, leadership development, church health, and mission. And uh, God, by his grace, has given us the courage and the favor to make some really massive decisions in the last six months. We've been able to um, begin to turn a big ship towards what we believe uh, God is calling Assemblies of God to in, in, you know, for 2020 and beyond. And so I think in the first four years, as we focus our time on those three things, leadership development, church health, and mission, I think by the time we get to year four or so, we'll be able to begin a robust church planning strategy for the United Kingdom, including Wales as well. And, uh, but I think leadership development, church health, and mission are three great things that we can focus on. So for those of you who are Assemblies of God, that's what we're about. That's the journey that we're on over the next four years. Uh, Chris, of course, is leading this whole area here, and we're so thrilled about Chris um, being involved in that. And also for the elders of this church to release Pastor Chris to be involved in doing that. You know, we really do appreciate it and do really believe 
that the, uh, that, that the change that we're going to see over the next four years is truly going to be a remarkable, remarkable thing. So I want to thank every single one of you for, for that. Assemblies of God is an amazing network. It's, it's a relationship. That's what it is. 380,000 Assemblies of God churches globally. There is an, an Assemblies of God church being planted every 127 minutes globally. It's amazing to see what God is doing. And, um, and when I hear what God is up to, not just in the Assemblies of God, but in every movement globally, you know, uh, I was in Lambeth Palace and the House of Lords on Monday and Tuesday last week, and I've been going to that for about seven years to a, a very short, small gathering. And it was amazing having some of the politicians come in and share with us about Brexit. Are we in? Are we out? Early election? Don't know. We don't really know what's going on. And the politicians didn't know what was going on. But I, at the back of my mind, was so happy that I know someone who knows what's going on. And one of the things that I've truly found in leadership is this, is that in most instances, when I don't know what's going on, I'm thankful that God does know what's going on. And so even in our journey of planting Audacious Church 12 years ago and launching with 90 people, and after six weeks having just 50 people, and then everything God's done in the interim between then and now with you know, 12,000 first-time decisions, 4,000 active people uh, attending on a Sunday, and just in the last 30 months alone, seeing 3,800 decisions and seeing in the last six months church grow by 20%, uh, launching four locations as well, and then the complexity of everything that we're facing. I remember studying, reading ethics 24 years ago in Bible college, and the things that we studied in ethics 24 years ago did not even exist today in society, and yet the challenges that come associated with that, and one of the things I really love about Assemblies of God globally is that it gives us as local church pastors the chance to, uh, hear this right, hide behind something that we're connected to. In other words, instead of just society coming after your local church, Pastor Chris, really in coming at you, they're coming at Assemblies of God, which is 380,000 churches. And of course, above that is God himself. And I think that sense of connectivity is a really, really wonderful thing. That's enough about me and Assemblies of God. I'm here, we're doing a leader's night, and I want to share a leadership message with you. And, uh, and it really comes out of something that I saw and was reminded of recently. I remember the first Gulf War. Was that 1991, 1992 or so? I was living in Manchester as a teenage boy at the time. My dad was pastoring in the suburbs. And I remember watching the first Iraq War, the first Gulf War. And I remember uh, the pilots coming back from sorties. And they were interviewing both, um, both American pilots and British pilots. And the British pilots uh, you know, responded with humility in a sense of, of, of awe, of, uh, of the devastation that they'd reaped and lives that they knew were lost. And there was a sense of, of um, you know, the British kind of stiff upper lip, quite demure sense, you know, saying words like, yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, it was difficult to see uh, the destruction that the bombs did, but we, we had a mission. We had orders that we had to do, and, and, and I, we believe we delivered it well. And then the American soldiers, the American pilots were being interviewed, and they were like, yeah! It was awesome, and, and you got to see the personality difference between the, the, the British soldiers and, and, the, and the American soldiers, and, and I hope I'm not, you know, um, stereotyping too much in, in what I'm about to say, but I, I think it would be fair to say that the Americans in personality and culture are a little bit um, louder than us. Yeah? Yeah, um, and, and, and one of the things that, that happened during World War I, if I can go back that far, is this, is that British um, American soldiers were coming back from, from various aspects of trench warfare. Same thing happened in, in World War II, and the American soldiers in pubs and clubs 
in Britain would begin to talk about where they had been stationed and battles that they'd been fighting and, and where uh, troop placements were uh, uh, without realizing, and they weren't really boasting, it's just that, you know, the bravado of the culture, of the personality, meant it made good pub conversation. You know, we were stationed here, we fought this group, uh, this is where that platoon was. And the enemies realized that the, the, the American GIs, more than the British troops, were quite open in their conversation and so would station, you know, spies in the pubs and in the clubs and in the dance halls in the United Kingdom just to sit there and eavesdrop on conversations. Uh, Before long, it became apparent to the Allied forces, to the Allied command, that that intel was getting out there and they didn't know how, how the enemy was finding out intel about Allied troop placements until they discovered that a lot of the news got out because the returning soldiers would speak openly about where they were. And so there came an advertising campaign that says this, loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. Of course, there were other advertising campaigns where you would see, uh, you know, the, the Fuhrer or the Chancellor of, of the enemy, you know, eavesdropping in on conversation. But loose lips sink ships was probably the most popular and one that you would be aware of. Today, in modern warfare, loose tweets sink fleets. The whole idea that you have to be careful what you say, be careful who you speak to, be careful what conversations you're involved in, because the reality is this, is that our words as leaders, our words either bring life or our words bring death. I I promise you tonight, I guarantee you tonight, that much of the the life of your ministry, of your church, of your personal life, much of it comes through what we articulate with our mouth. Now listen, one of the challenges, you'll know this as preachers in this room and, and leaders is this, is that if you live on stage, you also die on stage. That there are moments when you preach well and other moments when halfway through a message, you may even hear the Holy Spirit say, you're on your own, son. I'm off for a latte. You know those really bad moments. And I think every single one of us who use a microphone have had times that I call open mouth, insert foot. Where you say things you don't really mean to say. Am I right? Come on, I'm looking for honesty. Am I right? Preachers, leaders, you ever said something you didn't quite mean or something came out the wrong way? I mean, it happens all the time. In the preaching trade, we call that a faux pas, where you say something you don't really mean. Now, the challenge is this, is when you're preaching, you've done hours of study, hours of reading, hours of preparation, lots of prayer, then you stand up uh, understanding that there's a battle going on in the heavenlies right now. Matthew Simpson said, both heaven and hell await the outcome of every message. And the devil's not going to lie down and say, kick me, baby, one more time. So what's happening right now in the heavenlies in a leadership gathering is there's a fight in the heavenlies going on right now between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And as preachers, we're aware of that. Not only that, but we're aware of the nuances of the culture of the room. Uh, we're aware of people who are listening, people who are sleeping, people who are tweeting, people who are playing angry birds, people who are watching the rugby on Sunday morning. Meanwhile, as a preacher, you're conscious of what you've said, what you're saying, and what you're about to say, whilst also hopefully keeping an open spirit, an open mind to the Holy Spirit-designed trajectories and tangents 
that he wants to take you on. And all this is going on in the shape of the person with the lectern, the Bible, the notes, preaching, and it's usually in the mix of that we say things we don't always mean. Like one of our young preachers a few months ago, she got up on stage and said, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he stopped being God and he was only a man. That's called heresy 101. And she looked down at me and I went, don't go there. And when she finished preaching, I assigned her a mission of about 32 theological textbooks that she has to read. And we all say things we don't mean. Like when I was a youth pastor in Sheffield. And I said this one day. I was preaching on the art of being able to receive. How do you receive a blessing? And my opening line was this. I don't know who said it's better to give than receive. Whoever said that is a loser. And then I preached this great message, Pastor Chris, on how to receive. I got off stage. People got saved. I sat down. My pastor turned to me. He says, Glenn, that loser is Jesus. Get up and apologize to the church. I mean, we've all said things with our mouth that we didn't quite mean. And we've all said things with our mouth that we did mean. But the reality is this. Loose lips sink ships. And if your life, if your ministry, if your leadership is like a ship going on a destination, then I want you to know this, that what you say will either cause your life leadership ministry to get to the destination well, or what you say will sink your leadership. What you say can sink your ministry. What you say can either build or destroy a relationship. It can either build or destroy a church. It can either build or destroy a team. It can build or destroy a denomination simply with the words of our mouth. And one of the things I'm really, really aware of as I travel around and I speak to leaders, and for the last 15 years, I've traveled 10 days a month. And just in the last three years alone, traveled a million miles and spoken to hundreds of thousands of leaders, and done lots of one-on-one consultations. The reality is this, is simply by listening to a leader's words, I can pretty much ascertain the type of life, marriage, children, ministry they have, because our words say it all. Let me read you what a neurologist, Andrew Newberg, says. He says this, language shapes our behavior. And each word we use is imbued with multitudes of personal meaning. The right words spoken in the right way can bring us love, money, and respect, while the wrong words uh, or the right words spoken in the wrong way can lead a country to war. We must carefully orchestrate our speech if we want to achieve our goals and bring our dreams to pass. I love that. Did you watch The Darkest Hour, the movie? Every Brit needs to watch that movie. There's a little bit of fiction, but there's a whole lot of fact. And in that movie, when our Prime Minister at the time, Winston Churchill, stood up and he gave his speech, I have a dream. The end result was that the Parliament got behind our Prime Minister. Don't you wish that would happen right now? They got behind the Prime Minister and they made a decision that they were going to support him in his endeavours. 
And here's what happened. One of the opposing MPs turns to the other MP who was opposed to Churchill. And when they saw all the MPs stood to their feet and applauding, the opposing MP said, what just happened? And the other MP said, Winston Churchill has just mobilized the English language and sent it off to war. Martin Luther King, he stands up and he says, I have a dream. And that speech was part of a catalyst to seeing a global revolution of equality beginning to take place, not just in America and in other parts of the world. I want you to know that your speech is powerful. Leaders, your speech is powerful. Your speech will make you or break you. Your speech will make your church or break your church. Your speech will help your mental ill health or it will not help you. It'll make things worse. My study revealed this, that we, uh, in the English language, there are 500,000 words. Sorry, I don't know how many words are in the Welsh language. Most people have a working vocabulary of two to 3,000 words of the 500,000 in the English language. And most people have an average of two to 300 words that they say many times every day. That's what we call our habitual language. You and I, we both have habitual language that we say repeatedly every single day. Here's what neurologists say. Neurologists tell us that our words have a biochemical effect in our body. The words that we speak either bring a positive chemical effect in our body or a negative chemical effect in our body. Now, I've got to be honest, I didn't really understand much to do with the biochemical effects of, of, of chemicals in our body until about six years ago, my wife stopped sleeping. I remember waking up one morning, and I turned to my wife. I said, morning, honey. It's 5.30, my wake-up call. And I turned to her, and she, she was looking at me with a tear streaming down her face. I said, what's up? She said, I didn't sleep last night, but I'm tired. That's strange. I went downstairs and I got my coffee, my sparkling water. I sat with my Thompson Chain Reference Bible and was reading my reading for the day. For the last 11 years, I've been reading through Matthew Henry's commentaries with my Bible. And I'm still on that journey. I'm in Joel chapter 2 and I'm in Revelation chapter 4. And I can't wait to finish in Jesus' name. And I was doing that. Do you know, the next morning I woke up and my wife, she said I hadn't slept. The third day, she said I, I, I slept in fits and starts for 10 or 15 minutes and Went for a week, and it went for two weeks, and then a body started to shake. I said, we're going to the doctors, baby. So I took her to our local GP, and the GP kind of did some tests and, and, and took a look at her and did some analysis and did some research, and she began to say this to Sophie. She said, Sophie, your, your, your brain, if you like, it has two tanks, one, one that has serotonin and another that has adrenaline. And when you go to sleep, what happens is this, and when you go to rest, the serotonin is released, if I can in layman's terms say, like a mist. And this chemical mist, this, this serotonin, this relaxing, relaxing agent is released into your body, which causes you to calm and go to sleep. And he said this, he said, your serotonin tank is empty. And your body is creating an excess of adrenaline, which explains why you shake. I would wake up in the middle of the night to my bed shaking because my wife would lie in bed next to me shaking. 
she would say things like this. She said, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I've got this nervous energy. I'm about to run a race. I'm about to enter a competition. She said, that's the feeling that I get. And the doctor said, yeah, that's the adrenaline that your body is creating an excess amount of. So think about that for a moment. Neurologists say our words, the words we speak, have a biochemical effect in our lives. So I want to ask you this question. What words do you habitually speak? Because scientists are very clear that this will positively affect our life or negatively affect based on our words. Now listen, neurologists and modern day scientists are surprised by these findings, but we should not be surprised. The Bible's been saying this for years. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? Verse 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up for him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men and women will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted. For by your words, you will be free. For by your words, you will experience uh, increase and thriving and favor And by your words, you will be condemned. You will be restricted. You won't know growth. Neurologists call it a biochemical effect. The Bible, Jesus himself, says our words matter. Leaders, your words matter. My family still lives in Wales. I still meet with them. They're not followers of Christ. And yet every time I eat with them and every time I talk with them, I get the language and the culture and the narrative of the valleys of South Wales. I hear it every time. It's second nature to me. I understand it, but I don't get it because everything I get is negative. Negative about the weather. Negative about the car the neighbor has. Negative about the church up the road. Negative about the taxes. Negative about Brexit. Negative about English. Negative about rugby. Negative, negative, negative. Without realizing that our words affect everything about our life. Therefore, their life is one of difficulty and tragedy and complaint. And there's no joy and there's no happiness and my cousin's children are not walking with God, and their lives are a mess, and things are a tragedy, and things are difficult. It's like a combination of EastEnders and Coronation Street put together, multiplied by 100, and that is their life living in the valleys. Why? Because their words matter. Leaders, your words matter. I want to give you three really quick things that I believe Jesus is saying in this text, and then I'm going to give you, because it's a leader's night, 10 very quick practical steps on how we can change our speech in Jesus' name. Because here's the thing. If every single person has two to 300 habitual words on a daily basis, we as leaders do too. We as leaders do too. So the first thing Jesus is saying here is this, is Jesus is saying your speech identifies you. Your speech identifies you. 
Here's what he says. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. So if you're walking through an orchard and you're walking with your child and you say, hey, son, hey, daughter, there's an apple tree. How do you know it's an apple tree? It's because of the fruit. The fruit. And there's almost that sense where in this passage, what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying our words are the fruit of what is taking place on the inside. Our words is the fruit of the root. Your words, my words are fruit of the root. So I want to ask you this question, pastors, leaders, Christian people. How does your speech identify you? What do the words of your mouth say about what's taking place in your heart? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here's my prayer. For those of you who know me in this room, and, and not many of you do really well, but, but my hope would be this, that, that if somebody was to come up to Pastor Chris and say, Pastor Chris, did you hear what Glenn said? And began to tell you something uh, that I'd said that was rude and inappropriate and offensive and and vitriolic, and, and, and nasty, and, and gossipy, and, and horrible, and that sort of thing. My hope would be, Pastor Chris, that, that, that one minute into the conversation, you go, ha ha, nah, you got it wrong. That's not the Glenn I know. Because what happens is this, our speech identifies us. You're never going to find me gossiping, friend. It's not going to happen. Two weeks ago, a pastor in this country rang me to, to, to gossip about another pastor to give me some bad news. And one minute into the conversation, I said, hang on a minute. Is this helpful for me or the person you're talking about? And this pastor on the phone says, well, I just thought you'd like to know the details so you can pray. I said, no, I can pray without knowing the detail. Your speech identifies you. Every rugby day in primary school, every athletics day in primary school, there will be lots of people on the sidelines, but I could always hear Beryl Barrett, my mum, five foot one and a half. I know her voice. Her speech identifies her. She's got the lilt of the Welsh Valleys. Her speech identifies her. And even two Sundays ago, was it, when Wales were playing Sunday morning uh, and the anthem was sung, I FaceTime my mum. She's in Queensland, Australia. I'm in Manchester. We're stood. We're both singing the national anthem. And then I stopped and I'm watching my mum sing. In fact, I didn't need my phone to hear my mum. She sings so loud. I can hang up and still hear. Your speech identifies you. What do people say about pastors in Wales? What are people saying about Christians in Wales? Because Jesus is saying our speech either reveals that we are followers of him or not. And sadly, I can't speak about Wales, but I do know this, is that in England, it's a sad thing that I see when the speech of a pastor, of a Christian leader, is not exemplary. It doesn't follow truly what Jesus is speaking about. So he's saying, friend, your speech identifies you. It identifies me. The second thing Jesus is saying in this text is this, is your speech reveals your heart. He says here, if the heart is filled with good, then you will speak good. But it's filled with evil, you will speak evil. We have one of our pastors on staff. <clears throat> she and her husband lead our new north location in North Manchester. And I've known them for... Gosh, I think 15 years. And she is a godly woman. 
She's an amazing woman of God. She has a sweet spirit. She's a prayer. She's righteous. She's holy. She's everything you would want a pastor to be with her husband. Wonderful people. About seven or eight years ago, she's in conversation with her girlfriends. She wasn't on staff at the time. We knew her. She was part of our voluntary team in the life of our church. And in the midst of conversation, she let slip a swear word, like a, a bad one. You know, there's, there's levels of bad in swearing, isn't there? It's kind of, you know, you, you shouldn't really say that. You know, you definitely can't say that on the stage. You know, you, you know maybe you could get it. But this, if you go there, it's kind of at that level, the type of level that makes the devil blush, that level. And it's so out of character and never been done before that when she did it, she stopped. She went, <gasps> and her girlfriends around the, 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 the table at the house looked at her, tumbleweed. Within three minutes, I got a text. Glenn, you're never going to believe what she just said. And of course, they didn't spell out the whole word, but they let me know enough to, to fill in the blanks. Do you know something? I thought, this is brilliant. For the next months, I would say to her, what's happening in your heart? What's going on? She, she sought God. She literally, she, I'm not even kidding now. She had a week of prayer and fasting to search her heart. The Bible says this, uh, your speech reveals your heart. I teased her because I, I, it's so out of character. It just wasn't right. But I love her. Her attitude was this. For me to say something like this reveals that there must be something going on in here. And I, and I don't know. And she was trying to fix it. And I kept reminding her of it. What's going on in your heart? Even now, seven years later, every now and again, I'll just say, how's your heart, Pastor? Your speech reveals what's going on in your heart. And sadly, I meet enough pastors and Christian leaders, I hear them speak and I think, gosh, friend, your speech doesn't identify you as a Christ follower. I'm not even talking about rude joking. I'm not even talking about swearing. I'm, I'm talking about positivity and faith-filled speech versus negativity and, and doom and gloom. There's got to be something, I believe, about our speech that identifies us as followers of Christ. You know my mum is from Wales. You just got to hear her speak. And people knew I grew up in Australia. You just got to hear me speak. What do people think when they hear you speak? When you walk into the coffee shop, when you're tipping the waiter, when you're connecting with your community, what, what do people say? And we say to our church all the time, if you can't think of something good to say, think of something good to say. Because your speech reveals your heart. The third thing I believe Jesus is saying here, and this is crazy, Jesus is saying this, your speech will be judged. I don't know if we talk enough about this. My speech, Jesus is actually saying in this passage where we read it, he's saying that our speech identifies us, uh, reveals our character and our salvation. I have friends who had bad, filthy mouths. They got saved, and in a moment, the Spirit of God touched them, changed, changed their mouth, changed their language. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, that our speech identifies and reveals our character. 
I think that sometimes what I've seen in church leaders with church pastors is this, is that we pray a prayer on our morning like David, I, I lay my request before you and wait with eager expectation. And we pray in the morning and yet throughout the day, our words are slowly undoing the power of our prayers. Because Jesus is actually saying here in the passage, he's saying our speech will be judged. I think that's a reason to every night say, Lord, thank you that you don't hold my sins to my account. I'm sorry for every loose word that I've said. I'm sorry for the biochemical effect that some of my words have had in my body and how my words have negatively affected and impacted others in Jesus' name. I think Jesus is saying those three things. So let me give you 10 practical steps. If you're taking notes tonight, you'll sit closer to Jesus in heaven when you get there. 10 things. Because here's what I believe. Leaders in Wales, if you change your words, you will change your life. Let me say it again. If you change your words, you will change your life. I've seen this outplayed so many times in my personal life, in my dad's life as a minister. I would see the elders in our church, in our Pentecostal church, speak in tongues on a Sunday, and then my dad would go to an elders meeting on a Monday and come home visibly shaken because the same men who were speaking in tongues one day, the next day were angry and hateful and negative And I saw that effect on my dad, and I made a decision just as a young boy that I was choosing not to be that person. I I didn't want to be the person who spoke words that brought people down, but to be a person who speaks life and hope into people. I believe that's what God wants us to be. Change your words, change your life. I'm listening to Pastor Chris every time I speak to him, every time I hear him, every time he's on the stage, every time we have a coffee. I'm listening to his words, his words. One of the reasons why this is a great church and the transition has happened as it is, is because of his words. Faith, hope, honor, humility, expectation that God will do even more, giving glory back to God. And I look around and think, yeah, yeah, we could talk about leadership systems, And we can talk about leadership principles and patterns, but if we get our words wrong. So here's the 10 things. Number one, change your words, change your life. Here we go. Number one, I want to encourage you pastors and leaders to speak with faith. Speak with faith, one person. Speak with faith in Jesus' name. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need faith to speak with faith. Now, the thing about faith is this. Faith recognizes the facts but proceeds with purpose. Speak with faith. We're in the middle of a building campaign. We need 35 million pounds to build our new church facility in downtown Manchester. We haven't got 35 pounds. It's not in the bank, but I know someone who does. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And and we have a choice to make, friends. We can either look at the negativity, we can either name the facts and stay in the facts of what are, or we can speak with faith. We're looking for a new building. We're looking for new land. We're believing the tithes and offerings are going to increase. We're believing for souls. I want you to know that faith is not sticking your head in the sand and ignoring the facts. It recognizes the facts, but speaks with purpose and proceeds with purpose. Let's be men and women of faith. I know it's tough. I know leadership can be tough. I know it can be lonely. I know it can be disappointing. I know as leaders, you're like me. You get hugged with one hand, and the same person who's hugging you with one hand is stabbing you with the other hand. Am I right? It's happened to me twice this year. I get the emails too. I get the hate mail too. But I want to encourage you, be men and women of faith. God's looking for us in Wales to be men and women of faith. 
the revivals that, that, that had, had a global effect that came out of, out of, out of Wales there were men and women who spoke with faith. The women who, who were pastoring the churches and leading churches because the men weren't around, they did it with faith. And when our evangelists traveled the valleys and the mountains and the hills in this whole area, they came, they preached with faith, they led with faith, they spoke with faith. What we need to do is speak with faith. Find people in your world. I want to encourage you. Find people in your world, world who, who you can sit with and you can just talk faith. Talk faith. There's enough negativity. If you don't feel negative enough, just watch the news. Try to understand Brexit, but you speak with faith. I want to encourage you to speak with faith. Number two. Number two. And I want to spend just a moment on this. I want to encourage you, pastors and leaders, to speak with respect. To speak with respect. I don't really know Wales and the church scene in Wales all that much, but I know the church scene globally. And I wonder what happened. The idea of treating each other with respect. I'm not even talking about treating the world with respect. I'm talking about treating each other with respect. The church up the road, the minister across the street, to actually speak with respect. Some time back, I was watching a Christian TV channel. And the preacher was preaching, thousands of people in the crowd, and he's preaching on Jesus. And it was a brilliant message, actually. It was a brilliant message. His Christology was fantastic. He was really elevating the name of Christ. And the crowd was sitting there placid and arms folded. And every now and again, a golf clap would, would go up. And then they'd revert to positions. But then, when he started to speak negatively about the church up the road, people stood to their feet and started to cheer and clap. And I remember looking at that thinking, gosh, something's wrong. What happened to respect? You seen Parliament lately? What happened to respect in a civilized nation? It's almost like we've forgotten, not you guys because you're perfect, but in England, we've forgotten that there's this code called honor. And respect a generation of men and women who are growing up who want instant success and, and instant titles and instant education. Well, what happened to honoring our elders? That's what we're working on in Assemblies of God. Wanting to honor our elders, honor our retired ministers. We need our retired ministers now more than ever. We, we need the voice and the opinion and the thoughts of a, of a man and a woman of God. Thanks so much. A man and a woman of God who are, who are, who are older in years. Uh, that, that sense of absolute respect. Are we recording this? Can you press pause? Is that possible? I've been watching Parliament, as you have, trying to work out Brexit. Encouragement. Speak with encouragement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up in this holy faith. Therefore, encourage. You know what encourage means? Encourage means to put courage into a person. And I think in society where mental ill health is on the rise, what we need in society is people who are having courage put in them. I believe that's what God's calling us to. Number four, I believe that we should speak to identify right. Let's speak up for what's right. Let's speak up for what's good. Let's speak up and identify what's right. But I also believe, number five, that we should speak to identify wrong. Now, here's the problem with this in society, is that when we, the church, speak up for what's wrong, 
People get offended because that's a narrative. It becomes personal, and we end up in a quagmire of emotion. Not clear thinking. But make no mistake, some things are wrong. Let me put myself out on a limb here. I think I'm in a safe place to say this. You can record, by the way, if you've not, not already started. Uh, and say things like, abortion is wrong. 280,000 abortions in England and Wales last year. 280,000. And the politicians are wondering how we're going to be able to support pensions in future years and support, and how is it that we have an older generation and we're getting older, and they're scratching their heads wondering why are we getting older? And the answer is really simple. The place that should be the safest is now the most violent place of war. Some things, friends, are just wrong. And I said to our church recently, I said, church, you, you can disagree with me on the abortion issue, on the ideology of that, and, and that's okay. We can still be friends. And we can disagree. And you can come at me with all, all, the, all the stories of why abortion is okay and why it should be allowed, but I've got a Bible. Now, remove the Bible from the mix, and it's just your theories against my theories, but some things are wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. Children of refugees stuck in camps in France on the borders of Syria and Turkey. The human harvesting that's going on right now, where rich people are paying for live people to be killed so their organs can be harvested for transplants. Human trafficking, things are wrong. And I think that sometimes in churches in England, not in Wales because you're perfect, but in Scotland definitely, we end up speaking about things that it's like, we're worried about the color of the carpet and the color of the walls. I really hope I'm not offending you. Guys, I was brought up in a very traditional Pentecostal. I, I, I remember what it was like where you could not move the communion table. I remember those days. I remember when we first had drums, Dad brought drums in. I remember people being angry because every time that bass drum was kicked, a demon was released. I, I remember those arguments. No, I do. I do remember it. But, but, but some, things are, some things are right and some things are wrong and some things are just... Not worth the hassle. Pastor Glenn, you can't do that in church. Why? You can give me a Bible verse that says we can't do that in church, then I won't do it in church. I think we argue about the wrong things. Meanwhile, society's going to hell, and the valleys are getting darker. Thank God they're not because of your churches. Mental health is spiraling. We've got to speak up for what's wrong. Can I encourage you sixthly? I'm nearly done. I'm going to race through these. Number six, speak with the word of God. Speak with the word of God. Speak with the word of God. We are in a room recently of 80 pastors. One of our national team, Pastor Simon Jarvis, he said to a, a, a room of 80 pastors, some of semis of God, some are from other streams, and he asked this question. He said, how many of you read the Bible every day? In a room of 80 pastors, two put their hands up. I said, okay, how many of you have read the Bible this week? Eight put their hand up. No wonder we're losing the battle. No wonder we've found it so difficult. I say to my son, he's 16, I say, son, if you brush your teeth for two minutes in the morning and two minutes at night, when you're an old man, you'll still have your own teeth. I think it's the same with the Bible. Instead of reaching for the mobile phone, how about reaching for the book? 
oh gosh, even two minutes in the morning passes and two minutes at night is better than nothing. Jesus came back at the devil. You say this, but it is written. This book is so outstanding. It's so, it's so brilliant. It's, 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 a, it's a living word. You, you read it and, and it lives in you. And I hear this excuses in our church. Pastor Glenn, I, I read the Bible. I didn't get much out of it. I, I can't really remember much of it. I can't remember what I had for lunch last Tuesday, but it still nourished me. And the thing about the living word of God is this, is when you read the living word of God, it's like a yeast that goes into the bread. And at some point when you need it and you're stuck and you don't know what to do, it's amazing how when you're up against it, when you can't pay the bills for your church, you need to buy that land and you need a miracle and you've got elders against you and demons, I mean deacons after you and difficulty in society. It is amazing how in those moments, something that you read months and years ago, you can't even remember reading it. All of a sudden, it begins to grow. I say the Chinese, the Chinese bamboo tree, I think that's what it's called. It's planted and watered and nothing happens for five years. After five years, in the next six weeks, it will grow 90 feet in six weeks. I think that's a good illustration of the Word of God. Goes in, it goes in. So I want you to speak the word of God. Number seven, seven. So we speak to create. We speak to create. We speak to create. This is this is the, uh, the 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 theology of firsts. That if you want to know why something exists, you've got to go to the book and look at the first time it happened. And the first time we see speech is when God said, "Let there be light." He didn't talk to the darkness. He just created the light. I, I, I firmly believe this, that we speak to create, that the primary purpose of speech is not communication, it is creation. That's why we come to our churches early on a Sunday morning. We walk around, we put our hands on every chair. Say, thank you, Father, these chairs will be full today. Thank you that souls will be saved today. Uh, I'm so thankful that when we do services, every service, we have our intercessory prayer team off in the distance, and they're praying in a quiet corner, and they're just prophesying into the heavens what we're going to see begin to happen. You know, the last five weeks in Manchester has been juicy because we've had demonic manifestations the five last Sundays, and I'm thinking now, now we're starting to affect the kingdom of darkness. I, I wonder, what, what is your speech? creating great things or negative things. I don't believe in name it and claim it, but I do believe that our words create. Number eight, we speak to prophesy the future. I've said that. Number nine, we speak to paint the colors of the culture mosaic. In other words, we're not looking for clones. Bring who you are. Be who you are. In heaven, in God, there's no black, there's no white, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Welsh, there's no English. God's not looking at you and me as a Welshman and a Welshwoman. He's looking at us as children as God. I just think that we just got to bring who we are and be a part of that. Number 10, number 10, we speak to glorify God. May our words lift him up. May our words glorify his name. May everything that we say, even behind the scenes, be something that glorifies God. I remember my Sunday school teacher once said this. I was about five. She said, children, the question you have to always ask is this. How would you feel if Jesus came back and saw you doing what you were doing? Would you still do it? And I put my hand up. I said, miss, 
It's not Jesus I'm scared about. It's my mum. This whole idea that he is the silent listener in every conversation. Do our words glorify him or not? And all this came out of my recent quiet time. Hosea chapter 14 verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Take words with you and return to the Lord. In other words, friends, in Wales... If we change our words, we will change our life. And I want to encourage you that as you go home and you reread this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to religious people now, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man and woman bring good things out of the good things stored up in them. And the evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. For I tell you that both men and women, pastors and leaders, will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words in your church, you will experience freedom, life, hope, salvation, Faith for miracles, faith for finances, and by your words, you will be condemned. Hosea 14.2, take words with you and return to the Lord. Would you stand to your feet with me across this place? Five hundred thousand words in the English language. Most people have a working vocabulary of two to three thousand words. But you and I together both say two to three hundred words, the same words every day. Our habitual words. So I want to ask you a question if I can be so bold as to speak as a Welshman to Welsh people. I want to ask you this. What habitual words? you say are your words bringing life or are they bringing death do your words stand as a testimony to God and to his goodness and to his greatness or are your words having a negative biochemical effect in your life just changing the words we speak can cause our minds to change Would you think for a moment about the last leaders meeting you sat in, the last elders meeting that you sat in? Were the words spoken, words of life and faith and hope and optimism? Yeah, recognizing the fact, but still full of hope. Or was that another difficult conversation that once again as a leader you walked away from just feeling heavy? Why did you feel heavy? 
because our words have a biochemical effect. I really believe that as we move forward as leaders with a clear understanding of the power of our words, that maybe the homework for us tonight is to really sit and be honest and assess our habitual language. The Bible says the Word of God is useful for correcting, teaching, rebuking, and encouragement. And maybe tonight for some of you, this Word has been like a bit of a Holy Spirit rebuke. I love the verse in the Bible that says it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. So tonight can either be a message that you hear that feeds a a victim narrative within you, or tonight can be a message that you look at and say, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to look at this further. Why do I feel challenged? Why why do I feel provoked? Why do I feel like God speak to me? And maybe it's simply because we've got to change the declaration of our mouth. We speak to create. We speak to prophesy. We create the future. So, Father, over every church gathered here in this room tonight, over every leader, Father, I take a moment to speak, to prophesy life. Father, as we all drive home tonight, acutely aware of the challenges that are in our world, we choose not to magnify the darkness, but to magnify the light. Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us praise his name forever. And Father, where we have been guilty of magnifying the darknesses and magnifying the challenges and wonder why we're so consumed with difficulty and problems at every turn, we make a decision tonight that we're going to change the words of our mouth. We will continue to magnify you, Lord. Father, for pastors and leaders in this room right now who are currently working with, having to deal with teams that are negative, Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, as we in this room collectively make a decision that what we are going to do is we're going to change the words of our mouth. Lord, I pray that as leaders in this room change the words of their mouth, Lord, that the effect will be that we'll begin to see our teams change. Give us the courage and the confidence and the gentleness to lead our teams into a new season of faith, hope, and optimism, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we believe that you are bigger than our challenges. The bank of heaven is greater than the bank of England and the bank of Wales. We believe, God, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. God, we understand that it is your desire. You have a greater desire that Wales is saved, even greater than us. So, Lord, stir our hearts. May we not only have spiritual gifts at work, but the fruit of the Spirit. May we live and lead and speak with love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, long-suffering, self-control. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, may our words glorify you in such a way. Father, may every searcher, may every seeker, may every life destroyed by the storms of life that come into our churches and come into proximity of Christian people in Wales, may they just hear the way we speak and may something take place on the inside. May hope begin to rise as we choose to be bringers of light and love through our words.
preachers, preach the light, not the darkness. Preach hope, not hopelessness. Preach faith, not despair. This Sunday, when you get up to preach, may you be a man and a woman possessed by the Holy Spirit in such a way that you prophesy newness over your season, over your church. Father, we believe that Wales will be saved. Father, we believe new churches will be established. God, we believe that existing churches will be repurposed. Father, we believe that every church gathered here will experience growth. Father, we're prophesying goodness. We're prophesying greatness over every situation and circumstance right now. Father, I pray for the pastor, the leader in this room on the brink of giving up. Lord, I pray that faith right now would be stirred in their hearts as we speak life, hope, liberty, and love over them. Lord, I pray that no longer would we despair, but we'd come back to you. We believe. We believe. We believe in the mighty name of Jesus. We see the challenge, but we speak with faith. We believe in Jesus' name. Pastor Lee, I wonder right now, just so I bring this to a close, would you, would you just get with uh, the person who you're with? I, I want you to just begin to pray over them. I want you to prophesy right now in Jesus' name. I want you to prophesy increase. I want you to prophesy expansion. Just speak. Just the words of your mouth. Every time we speak, we prophesy. We're creating the future. Let, let's, let's begin to change our language over Wales and the situation in Jesus' name. in the name of Jesus. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Maybe some of you just need to speak new life into that situation you're going to go back into tonight. Tonight, maybe a marriage situation, maybe something that you're dreading going back to. By faith, speak into it right now in the name of Jesus. Speak life. Life. We cancel death and we speak life in the name of Jesus. Tonight itself. Tonight, right now, into that, into that medical condition. We speak the life of God right now, tonight, in the name of Jesus. 
into what's happening in your workplace tomorrow morning father tonight we speak the intervention of God the supernatural power of God in the name of Jesus thank you Lord you're raising up your people to prophesy bring life into dead situations thank you Lord thank you Jesus thank you Lord just take another minute close in a moment hallelujah yes Father. yes thank you thank you you're a prayer answering God prayer answering God God of new beginnings God of new beginnings God who causes things to come out of nothing oh Rabbi Rabbi yes 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 thank you thank you miracle working God supernatural God not by might or power but by your spirit oh God yes let your river flow into the into the valleys into the lanes into the by lanes of this great nation let your river flow like never before the river of God river of life river of healing river of restoration thank you thank you yes 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 thank you Lord some of us just just make that decision tonight before you go back raise an altar in a way and say Lord my words are gonna change from tonight never again I'm gonna go down that route never again tonight I make a decision I'm gonna speak your words your words from today your words of life we bless you Lord we bless you we bless you we bless you hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Lord and Wales will be saved amen, amen. your churches will grow your life will be fruitful and multiplying what your hands touch will bring glory to God hallelujah amen may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you oh Lord what a wonderful evening we've had I mean I mean we can go on and on but listen we want to take what we've received and say Holy Spirit build on this now take it to your teams take it to your churches let's be people that we are people who prophesy 24 7 as we walk through our lanes and by lanes and the people we meet coming to our church speak words of life. I think recently we were saying that and to some of our group in church while the Lord is saying pray I believe the Lord is now saying start speaking in some situations to so keep the praying going but now move from the level of praying to decree declaring under the unction of the Holy Spirit speaking into life and things will begin to happen Change. Amen. Let's give Jesus a wonderful, wonderful praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Let's appreciate Glenn. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for that. Bless you. Bless you. Amen. Amen.
I'm going to close with a song of praise as we leave this place. Let's sing together. Lift up the name of Jesus. You can stay on after the meeting is over. Fellowship, get to know one another. But God bless you. Great and mighty things in Jesus' name.